today on Next Level E-Commerce. He looked me dead in the eye. I said, listen. He said, you think it's black and white, right? I said, yeah. I'm like, you can either be flowing, like going with the current, or you can be swimming against it. He said, yeah. He said, or you stand up and realize the water's only six inches deep. You're listening to Next Level E-Commerce. Each week, we feature inspiring stories from entrepreneurs who have taken their business to the next level. They share successes and failures and what kept them going when they felt like giving up. And here's your host, Isaac Smith. Thank you for joining me for episode 44. I am so happy to be able to bring this episode to you. Is your life happening to you or for you? Are all the negative things in your life holding you back or are they what give you the strength to move forward? How you frame these circumstances can make all the difference. On the show today, we have a story that I know is going to touch you deeply. And I know because it really touched me. It's a story of growing up in some really rough circumstances, wrestling with that, and eventually deciding to come out on top. And it's hard to introduce because there's so much more than just a personal story, although that would be good enough. There's also some really powerful business and marketing lessons to be learned here. My guest today is George Bryant. He's going to share with us what he's learned helping to build billion-dollar brands. That Yes, that's billion with a B. He's the man behind some of the biggest brands out there, brands you actually know. He's going to tell his story in just a minute. This episode of Next Level E-Commerce is brought to you by Summit E-Commerce Advisors. That's my company. We provide bookkeeping and financial services to e-commerce businesses. And now we're building a program to help you build teams, systems, and automation. And here's a true story. The last person I hired negotiated her pay down. Yes, that's right. She actually negotiated her pay down because she wanted to work with me so much. Later on in the episode, I'll tell you how you can get my exact job description that moved her so much that she negotiated her pay down and became an amazing team member over the long term. Now we're going to move on with the show. You can find links to everything we discuss in our show notes at nextlevelecommerce.co slash 44. My guest today, George Bryant, has done a lot of things. He's probably best known as a digital marketing consultant to some of the biggest brands around. And I'll let him tell you about his experiences doing that. George was also one of the speakers at the Survive and Thrive e-commerce summit that I hosted at the end of March. And he had one of my favorite talks, which was about the customer relationship journey. Why it's so important to be building relationships with your customers right now and how to do it. I also did a follow-up interview with him where we did a really deep dive on some of these things. You can actually check out the replays of those videos. They're live in the Facebook group and I'll leave a link in the show notes for you. And now we're going to jump right into the story. Please welcome George Bryant. 
My story starts Massachusetts. Grew up in in Massachusetts, just outside of Foxborough, where the Patriots play. And you know, pretty pretty rough childhood to be really just you know transparent about it. Uh, lots of physical abuse, lots of emotional abuse, sexual abuse. My parents struggled hard with unresolved trauma and addictions and things along those lines. And so the children were at the butting end of it. And very young age, I remember, I really didn't have much of a childhood at all. And my first stitches were at 11 months. I think I'd already had like 100 stitches from the time mm. I was like three or four. And, wow. you know, I've done a lot of work, 20 years of work on myself to get here. But you know, it's really interesting to notice patterns and things like that. And one of the earliest memories I have is that I started actually struggling with myself and self-harm when I was about four, because the only way I could get my parents to stop fighting was to get hurt, fall off my bike fall down the stairs, hurt myself as a pattern interrupt. And it's really interesting what parenting carries into real world in real life, you know, when you become an adult. So my childhood was pretty, pretty intense. I basically stopped living in my house when I was 12. I would basically spend every night I could at a friend's house, like in their basement, you know, the furnished basement, but their parents, I think all knew like my family wasn't the greatest. Like we had social services involved, welfare checks, and they never asked questions, which I thank God for every day. They just kind of let me be there and, mm. you know, poach space. And so things got really bad. I was about, I don't know, 12 or 13. And I got my first job and I realized that the only way I was going to make it in life is if I supported myself and there was nothing there for me to rely on. And so feeding myself, working, was actually my first job was a skate guard at an ice rink. I was the guy that got the skate around and yell at people to slow down while getting to go as fast as I wanted, which was fun. <laughs> and I completely was working under the table because I think I was 13 at the time. But I basically started working at a very young age to support myself. And so, you know, while navigating family and and high school and being bullied because I had that family and I had the drug addict family and I had the you know the overbite and the bowl cut and the old clothes and things like that. I mean. I hated, and I mean, I hated every ounce of school like you couldn't imagine. Mm. I had my nose broken three times before I was 16. My front teeth were knocked out four times by the time I was 14 from getting bullied, beat up. And I never understood why because I literally was so quiet. I was like scared of everybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was just like, it's bad enough at home. Like, let's not be bad here. And so, yeah, high school, junior high was all rough for me. And so, I started struggling with bulimia at a very young age. I think I was 15. One of my family members called me fat and you know, it was one of those things I was so upset I started throwing up out of nerves and upsetness and realized I felt better when I was done because it gave me some egoically twisted sense of control and with everything feels out of control with the abuse and everything, it was something I could control. And unfortunately it was the debt detriment to myself. And so that was kind of like my, my high school life. I worked full time. I was an assistant manager at KB toys. I did an assistant manager at Dunkin' Donuts while going to high school or trying to go to high school, walking everywhere, riding a bike everywhere, whatever I had to do. But basically everything I've had in my life, I've bought myself from the earliest age, my first cell phone, my, my first pager, I did have a pager. Ugh my cars, everything was, was bought by myself. And so when I was 17, I realized like there was nothing there for me. And if I stayed there, it wasn't going to end well. I ended up pumping gas and there's nothing wrong with pumping gas. It wasn't my goal. I needed to get as far away from there as possible. And so I struggled with my weight immensely. I was overweight. I was fat. So I went to do the the smartest thing anybody could do and join the Marine Corps because I heard about it and no recruiter found me. I found them. I walked in their office. I'm like, I want to join the Marine Corps. And they're like, why? I'm like, because I want to do something and get the hell out of here. And I want to do something hard because I want to prove to myself I can do it. 
and they looked at me and they're like, son, you're too fat. And I was like, oh, here we go again. And that led to, you know, Mm. another spiral. But I did manage to lose 45 pounds in about six months and went back. They didn't even recognize me. And then they ended up depping me in the Marine Corps. And, you know, my senior year of high school was pretty rough. I didn't really go. I was trying to work and support myself and just buying time to get out of there. My parents had like 40 pending charges against each other. It was like a seven-year divorce, lawsuits, emancipations by me, court testimony, you know, like all of these things. Well, I'm still trying to navigate high school, getting bullied. I had my nose broken, had to have surgery, like all of these things. And I was like, I just want to get out of here. And so on July 29th of 2002, I got on a bus and I never went back. And I mean, I've probably visited maybe 10 times since then. And, you know, there's not much there for me anymore, but I went to boot camp July 29th, 2002 as my first ever airplane ride and straight down to boot camp. And uh, whew, I had no idea what the Marine Corps was until that day. And I was like, did I really sign up for this? Like, is there a way to quit? And there was no way to quit. And I was like, oh, I'm here. This is my path forward. And so for 13 months, uh, 13 weeks of my life, I made it my mission to be the best. And I had a chip on my shoulder. I was like, I'm going to prove that I don't have to end up like everybody else, that I don't have to end up an addict or broke or poor, and that there's a different path for me. And I don't know what it is, but I know that there's something. And I don't know where the drive comes from. I had no idea why I had clarity and vision at that young that I knew there was something better for me or greater for me. And so I went to boot camp, graduated on October 25th of 2002 as the honor graduate. So first out of like 1,600 people, then went to Marine combat training in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina for another like seven weeks and graduated first as the honor graduate and then went to 29 Palms, California for six months to learn my job, which was communications. So radio communications, like basically making sure everybody could communicate while getting shot at. It's a fun job. It's pretty good. And uh, graduated first there. And so I got to pick my first duty station. So I picked North Carolina, Cherryport, North Carolina. And I was actually petrified of getting deployed, which is why I picked there because it was like an air wing and they're not going to deploy. And within three weeks of being there, they're like, hey, a billet came up at Camp Lejeune. We need to send a new guy to Somalia. Hey, Bryant, you're going. And I was like, okay. And so 20 years old, I got on a plane out of Camp Lejeune and flew to Somalia in May of 2004. Uh, spent 13 months of my life in what I would consider an uninhabitable place on earth. And I have no idea why people live there or mm. that we pretend like parts of the world like that don't exist because it was the hardest thing I've ever, ever seen in my life. People wrapped up in carpets on the side of the road, like they're dead people getting picked up by the trash truck and burnt at night. Two, three-year-olds like stealing and selling things they stole to try to find food, like parentless two to three-year-olds, like living in the streets in groups of them. Wow. Like it, it was heartbreaking. And then I'm here and we're, you know, fighting a war on terror and all these other things. And it was just like it at 20 years old, like it was like a holy moly. Like I have lived the most sheltered. And it like really put into perspective my life. And I was like, yeah, my mm. life was was challenging. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me, but like WTF, like I could, I don't even know what to do or say. And it was, there was a whole lot of dissonance created in me for a long time. And I ended up getting injured really bad on that deployment. And so after 13 months, they brought me home and I ended up on the operating table that day, exercise induced compartment syndrome, six surgeries, 12 months in a wheelchair, 18 months of physical therapy, addicted to narcotics, gained a hundred pounds, bulimia spun out of control, 
attempted suicide by overdosing on narcotics. And it was a rough, rough, rough time. And for 12 months, I basically secluded myself from the world alone. I would eat whole pizzas, then purge them up, take 10 hydrocodone, like, and I could get them. It was like candy because I had so many extensive surgeries and they were bad. I was filleted open from knee to ankle on both sides of both legs and they don't close it right Ooh. away because of the swelling. So it has to be debrided twice a day and then closed and closed and closed. And so the pain was absolutely excruciating. And I, I, ha I had a PCA pump in, it's called a patient controlled anesthetic. It was a button I pushed and it went right into me. And so like every six minutes, I just got to make the pain go away and make the pain go away and make the pain go away. And a pretty dark point in my life. And I was coming near the end of it and I was recovering. I was just starting physical therapy, like just being able to walk basically, because it was basically I couldn't walk for like 10 months. It would be surgery, recovery, surgery, recovery, surgery, recovery, surgery, recovery. And it was like the same process over and over because it was both legs that had to be worked on and they wanted to amputate them. And, you know, I didn't want that. So I told them to pound sand and I kept them and ended up getting a near 12 months. And they said, Hey, you're unfit for service. Like you can't stay in. And I was like, what do you mean? I can't stay in like, uh, where am I going to go? And they're like, no, 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 seriously. Like we're going to kick you out of like, what's it going to take for me to stay? And, and literally I was more afraid of going home because I had nothing like literally I had nothing. I was been in the Marine Corps for four years. And I was like, I have nothing, no transferable skill set, nowhere to go, not a home I want to go to. Like I still hadn't talked to my mom and talked to my mom for 15 years. And my dad and I had kind of rekindled a relationship because I was on his side, but it wasn't daddy's son. It was like, I was harboring resentment and just checking a box a lot. So there was nothing there for me except my little brother and I didn't have the capacity. And so they said, the only way you can stay in is if you pass a physical fitness test in 60 days. And I was like, oh, oh, and you have to lose like 70 pounds. And I was mm. like, oh my God. And so it actually was nuts because my addiction is what made it possible for me to stay in, but not in the best way because I didn't eat. I purged and I had a physical therapist that kicked my butt and basically saved my life. And she signed me up for a triathlon without telling me. And she basically said, you're going to do this. And I was in the military. I couldn't say no. I had to go to physical therapy. Like I was ordered there. Mm. And so it was like five hours a day of physical therapy. And it was the most extreme. I felt like Rocky in Russia, like getting my butt beat, but not by myself, by like a five foot one Asian lady who did not like me at all. Come wow. to find out she liked me a lot. I just didn't think so at the time mm. and ended up making her recovery and was able to pass a physical fitness test, which kept me back on active duty. I didn't lose all the weight, but my boss looked at me and said, I can't believe you did this. Like I'll give you another 60 days, but like shaping up, let's go. And I just choose to stop being an addict. Like I literally cold turkey, just stopped the pills. I stopped everything. And it was rough. I went through crazy withdrawals, but I just knew I've always felt like I was called for something greater. And all my self-sabotage came from like falling victim to my past and feeling like I had to stay that way or I had to end up that way. And so I've spent my life breaking that story and recreating a new one and reparenting myself so I can lead my children and my wife to a, a better life. And Went back on active duty. And unfortunately, two years later, my dad had a, had a seizure and was diagnosed with metastatic brain and lung cancer. And I got an emergency Red Cross message, flew home to Massachusetts. And they say, we give him three months. This metastasized to his brain. Two weeks later, he was paralyzed from the neck down, ended up having to uh, do massive radiation. And I was the sole provider in the whole family. So the Marine Corps flew me home transferred me to Rhode Island on a, what's called a humanitarian transfer. And I lived there for six months while I took care of my dad, tried to pay off drug debt, tried to handle everything, support my family. And I sold everything I owned, all the money I saved from the deployment, gave away my truck, gave away my boat, 
my motorcycle, all my furniture, and I literally had nothing left again. And I used it all to take care of my family. And then September 30th, they I was stationed in Hawaii at the time. They flew me back to Hawaii. My dad had went through massive radiation. Um, the swelling went down. He was able to walk again. But in the process, his left toe, left big toe became ischemic. So they amputated it, but except he went in with a toe and came out without a leg because it spread. And so mm. that added a whole new level of complexion and prosthetics and, you know, things like that. And so my brother just turned 18 and I basically had to teach my brother how to take care of him, get his license. Here's the car. I have to go back to Hawaii. They Six months was it. I went back to Hawaii on September 30th of 2008. And on December 5th of 2008, I was talking to my dad. He had just left Dana-Farber. They did a brain biopsy and they're like, just a, a routine one. He called me. And, and he said, yep, it went good. And they're going to call me and let me know what it was. And so I was talking to him on the phone. He said, hey, I'm about to go into a tunnel. I'm going to lose you. I'm like, that's all right, dad. Call me later. I love you. And uh, that was the last time I ever talked to him. And uh, they called like two minutes after me and said, you need to come back. They turned around and he had a stroke 30 seconds later. And uh, wow. immediately, completely brain dead and gone. And I was his proxy. So I got an emergency Red Cross message, flew home across the country from Hawaii and handled everything. And then it took me three months to handle all the affairs, get rid of everything, clean everything, and then basically move my brother with me back to Hawaii. Had about two months to process in an empty apartment with two air mattresses because I literally had sold everything I owned. Started from scratch. They said, hey, it's been fun. You're going to California. They sent me to Camp Pendleton. And within two weeks, I was already getting ready to go back to Afghanistan. And so mm. trauma on top of trauma, on top of trauma, wow. on top of trauma. And then I ended up back in Afghanistan in 2010. And so it was like back to back to back. And Afghanistan rocked me. I never processed my dad's death. And Afghanistan was an ugly place. It was dirty. It was bad. The memories are not good. It was very destructive. Lots of death, lots of things that no human being should ever have to see. And it basically rocked me, but I, I made a decision that I, I was going to change my life and I wasn't going to be like that. I, I couldn't be an addict. I couldn't quit. I couldn't be depressed. I couldn't be suicidal. Like there's enough of that in my life. Like I need to do something different. And so I actually started CrossFitting in Afghanistan and through that found the paleo diet, which then helped me figure out that I was uh, celiac disease. And so I became addicted to working out and really good and really fun story. I tied the world record in Afghanistan for the standing box jump. Guinness hmm. Book of World Records, 56 inches at the time. If you want to Google it, Google George Bryant box jump. It's pretty funny. I look funny too. And so I really just replaced one addiction with another, but I will say I'm glad I chose that addiction because it gave me some momentum um, in a positive direction that allowed me to heal some stuff. And so I came home but on that deployment and the workups, I ended up having seven concussions in three years. And I had traumatic brain injury. I had bleeding on my brain, fluid on my brain, and came home and they said, hey, listen, like, you're kind of like done. Like, you're past your expiration date. Like, how are you even going? And like, I still can't feel my legs from the knee down. Mm -hmm. I'm running, getting perfect scores on my physical fitness test, my combat fitness test. I'm a Marine Corps martial arts black belt instructor. Like, everything you can imagine because my theory was the best place to hide is in plain sight. And so if I'm the best at everything, then nobody will know that I'm struggling with addiction and bulimia and fear and that I can't feel my legs and it hurts every time I run. And I mean, I ran, I ran to the point of three stress fractures because of like how weak my legs were. And I just kept going and going and going. And they're like, you can't do this anymore. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, we're submitting you for a med board. 
And because of the injuries eight years earlier, I had no time left. And so there wasn't like another six month recovery period. They're like, no, no, like we have to, like we're legally obliged to. And they said it could take six months to a year and you just have to wait. So they transferred me to another unit and I just had to wait. And during that time, I realized that I didn't want to be bulimic. I didn't want to be an addict and I wanted to beat it. And I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to cook and I'm going to talk, document the process on Facebook. That's like 2010, 2011. And nobody will know that every day I'm posting a recipe. It's so I don't binge and purge. They're just going to think I'm teaching myself how to cook, but I know, and it's holding me accountable. And that's where my first business started as an entrepreneur. I posted a recipe every day and very quickly became a food blogger. And I just documented the journey. And I was like, I just want to help people and share my story. So I taught myself how to cook one recipe at a time, one recipe at a time. And I posted on Facebook in the notes section back when people use that section And people started loving it. They were like, oh, I want to make it too. I want to see what you're doing. And I would start writing stories. I was blogging every day, even though I was working about 15 hours a day. I would leave my house at 3.45 in the morning and I would get home at about 7.45 at night. And then I would blog from 7.45 till 9, Mm. 9.30, go to bed and do it again. I mean, that was basically my life for about a year. And what year again was this, you said? This was 2011, 2012. Mm. Yep. And uh, I didn't really know anything about digital marketing. So I was just documenting my journey. And apparently when you're consistent and you're congruent and you respond to people, you know, they build a habit around being in a relationship with you. And so this continued. And then 2013, 2013, the Marine Corps said, Hey, you're done. It was May 30th of 2013. And right before then I had basically been blogging and I had a couple hundred recipes on my website. So I was posting every day, like every day I posted and someone's like, you should sell a cookbook. And I was like, how do I do that? And they're like, save all the recipes you have into an ebook. And I was like, what's an ebook? And they're like, you just save it into a Word document. I'm like, but why would you pay for that? They're like, because it's convenient. I'm like, all right, fine. So I did it. And they're like, you should upload it to ClickBank because we'll pay you. I'm like, why would you pay me? And they're like, because it's convenient and it's easy. I'm like, okay, fine. And my first product was born out of being told what to do by the people who were following me, not because I knew. And mm. that ended up becoming my first ever money made as an entrepreneur. And uh, the first week I made my yearly salary as a Marine and I knew that it was a bigger opportunity in the world out there. And so I left the Marine Corps and started there. And that was me as a food blogger for a while. That was so amazing. So what did that feel like for you at the time when you, when that happens? It it didn't feel real. It didn't feel real. Like actually I struggled for a long time with imposter syndrome because I literally had no idea what I was doing. And I made it wrong that like somehow this happened and I didn't know. And then, you know, after years of looking at it, I was like, no, I did know. I spent 18 months of posting every day, answering every question and helping every single person I could. And one of them said, hey, we want to support you. Put this thing together. And, you know, now I realize like what I was doing, right? This is the stuff I teach today. But it felt amazing. But it was really scary too, because I made this money. It's the most money I've ever had in my life. Most money than anyone in my family had ever had and no idea what to do. Like what's next when you launch a product in a business that you don't know is a business? Like, what do you go buy a course on like how to run your first business after you've made money? Like, I don't even know what's going on. And so I just kind of stayed on that process and I listened to customers. I listened to people and fans and I was building social media and an email list. And they're like, ah, you need to write a cookbook. And I was like, cool, how do I do that? And they're like, we need to find a publisher. So I found a publisher and then I taught myself food photography and cookbook design and editing and then launched a cookbook. It became a 22-week New York Times bestseller. It hit number four in the world. And then they're like, you need an app. I'm like, what's that? 
I was like, I'll learn how to make an app and took all the recipes and put them into an app and launched the app and hit number one in the world featured by Apple's the top health app of 2015. And then just continued. And my rule from the beginning was there's no point in doing this if I'm not helping people. So if somebody takes the time to comment, I will respond every single time. And for eight years or seven years, I never missed one. I never missed a comment. Everyone, every website comment, every email, every social post was handled by me. And I hired out everything else except engagement. I did all of it. Mm. I did all the social. I did everything. And I was like, the only people that keep me in business are the people that are leaving comments. So why would I spend my time doing anything else except supporting them? I was like, my job is to be in a relationship with as many customers as possible because they're the ones that keep me going. That's how I pay them back. Everybody else, I can hire out posting on social. I can hire out emails. I can hire out website. I even started hiring out recipe creation because I didn't want to do it. I hated cooking. I, I think cooking was like a waste of time, to be frank with you. Hmm. And um, like, I don't find any enjoyment or catharticism in like cooking. It was a way for me to beat an addiction and to cure myself. And when I did, I realized that once I had like healed and I I genuinely healed myself of all my addictions, my bulimia, everything, um, basically cold turkey by choice. And I realized I didn't want to cook anymore because I had accomplished the goal. And, you know, I'd seen that I had the power to do whatever and everything was down to choice. And so I just chose to be in a relationship with customers. And so I ended up building to a point where I was getting three to four million uniques a month on my website and had almost a million fans. I was one of the top pinners. Pinterest actually flew me up to their office to ask me what I was doing Hmm. because they're like, you only have like (laughs) 10,000 followers, but you have more pins generated from your website than any other website we have. I'm like, well, that's because everybody's dumb. You don't need followers on Pinterest. You need people to pin your content. So I ask people to pin the content and they're like, yeah, yeah, but this is absurd. Like, my banana bread mm. had 68 million repins on my banana bread. <laughs> um, wow. And so a lot of what I discovered was accidental, but I feel like a lot of my success came because I didn't have somebody else's box to fit into. I didn't know. Like I didn't know what email marketing was. I didn't know what social media marketing was. I didn't know what affiliate marketing was. I didn't know what content marketing was. I didn't know what a funnel was. All I knew is that I created content and people liked it. So then I helped them use it. And then I listened to everything they asked me for and I created it. And that's how I built a multi seven figure successful business by accident. Basically never took a course. Mm. I'd only read three books in my entire life and they were in high school science class. I didn't start reading books until two years ago, which is kind of mind blowing. I have no idea how I made it this far other than straight tenacity and resiliency and and dedication. So that's where I wanted to sort of, in derail this thing. You know, I listen to s- stories like yours and uh, for some reason I I I'm not sh- it's not the same but I think of Mike Tyson, you yeah. know, his background story. You know, I think about I as an entrepreneur, I I'm just genuinely interested in people's stories and I read a lot, I listen to a lot and and I wonder about people who are the best at what they do, like Mike Tyson, perfect example. You know, Jen, it seems to me like people who do really well, and this is going to be a two-part Please. comment or question here. People who do like best in the world level, whatever it is, very often come from a really terrible back- background. Mm-hmm. And... I want like to me that's it's admirable and it's 
you know, I think, wow, good, good for that person. But then I think like, well, actually I, I, I have a great upbringing, you know, and, and I feel like, hmm, I'm actually at a disadvantage here. And if I wanted to, not that I want that to mm-hmm. be the best in the world, but if I did, like Mike Tyson's in their training, he doesn't have a family life to go back and, you know, enjoy his Thanksgiving or whatever. Whereas mm-hmm. I do, I'm not willing to give that up for whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. But then also, I know a lot of people who have that similar background don't go on to do great things and they just get trapped in their environment. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you I, I can imagine someone who, like you has put a lot of thought into this. Like, why oh, yeah. did you <laughs> yeah, and these others, why did you make it out yeah. and others haven't? Yeah. What, so, what was yeah, in you? Yeah, yeah. I love this question. And yes, I've explored this for thousands of hours, including spirit quests into the jungle alone for seven days and silent retreats. And like, I've explored the deepest, darkest parts of my mind and my soul and the shadows that are there. And so first thing is, is one thing that I learned is you can never compare trauma or stories because everybody's lens is unique. And so like, I look at my life and there's a few moments where I was like, oh, my life is hard. Why is this happening to me? When I look back at my life, like I'm so grateful and blessed that I have the life that I have. And I have people like in my life and then my friends. And I was like, you know, they're like, you know, my life was easy. And I was like, if I couldn't have grown up with my parents like that, like that would have been 10 times worse than me than what I had, like the over militaristic structure and style. And I'm like, mm-hmm. right. And so I think one of the most important things is never compare stories or traumas because the lens is very different, right? We mm-hmm. see things very differently based on who we are and what our story is, right? And and there's things that I hear people like, I have a great upbringing. I'm like, I, I don't think I could have handled that, right? And not like mm-hmm. the love part, but like some of the structure or the life or, you know, the academia stuff or anything like that. I'm like, pressure is pressure. It doesn't matter what the story looks like. Stress is stress. It doesn't matter what the container is, right? And I think that's what's really, really important to remember is that events are events, and the only difference in how you see the event is the lens in that moment of your come from. And so I just wanted to say that because when I think about it, I'm blessed. I have my arms, my legs, my heart, my soul, and my body and the ability to choose. And I have 28 Marines that are no longer on this planet, not by choices of their own and things like that, that I remind myself of every day. And then I go to places like Somalia and I was like, my life was easy. Like, I don't know what it's like to be two and a half, three years old and having to steal the cell to feed myself, no clothes, no shoes, like no family. Like, how can I even, right? But then at the same time, those are some of the happiest kids I've ever met in my life Mm. because all they have is each other. Just like a lot of like South American countries and traditions are like their measure of wealth is the depth and connection of their family. Right. And yet we are in a country locked down and we're like, oh, we can't stand each other. And like, these people are thriving because this is what they want, because this is the only measure of wealth. Right. So I think it's really important to understand that. And obviously, I coach a lot of people on this stuff now. I've been doing a lot of work to get here in my life. And so the question for me is, why do I think I made it out? From a very young age, I saw the world very differently. Like, I remember there were things as a child where I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, why is that happening? Like, this isn't my dad. Like I knew that wasn't my dad. I knew that that was a damaged little boy that hadn't healed. Hmm. And I understood that, right? Like I had this lens of like empathy and compassion of like, 
I know I'm not getting hit or yelled at because I did anything wrong. Now, of course, there were times I felt like I did right, but like I just always kind of saw the world differently. But then it was interesting because kids in school would be doing drugs and going to parties. And I was like, no, no. And I think when you experience things like that in your life, I, I think the path is one or two ways. And it's you either fall into it and recreate the pattern or you see it and rise above it. And for whatever reason, I just was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I, I never wanted to drink. Like, I think beer is disgusting. I still have never drank like an entire beer in my whole life. Like, I just, I can't do it. I don't understand like being drunk. I, I just don't get it. And for whatever reason, I think for me, because I grew up in the environment I did, but I also lived in my friend's basement who was a very affluent family. But on the other end of the spectrum, they were affluent and rich and successful, but disconnected. Like they just kind of checked boxes every day and have that perfect family. But I saw like this polarity and I was like, I don't kind of want either of those, but like, it's nice to see that there's options in the world. And so, you know, I don't know, I I've, I've explored this at great depths and, you know, to give the, the spiritual answer is I feel like I've experienced or created the life that I've had because it gives me the capacity to relate to anybody and hold anything to support people in moving forward. And you know, I look at it and it's like, why was I able to, you know, do what I do or succeed as an entrepreneur? And I was like, my baseline capacity is greater than anything I ever thought possible. Like I can push myself to limits uh, that I feel like I've had the experience that have allowed me to tap into. Right. And so I'm blessed. Like I'm grateful that I experienced that because things in my life now feel so easy to me. Like, yeah, losing 50 grand a day right now in the middle of this. And it doesn't bother me at all. And I'm like, I don't know where it's coming from, but I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. I always do. Right. And I was like, but I know it has nothing to do with me. But in that moment, I get to choose. I get to see the field and I get to see the opportunities that are in front of me versus like, oh, this is me. This defines me like what it is. And, you know, those lessons come at a young age. And so, you know, this is going to sound as cliche as possible. But really what it comes down to is choice. Like it really, really, really comes down to choice. And I've had many addictive tendencies. I have a very addictive personality and I had the addictions of my parents creep into my life. It just didn't come with alcohol or things like that or hard drugs. It came with prescription drugs and that's where it started. And then it went to working out. And so I've had the tendencies, but because of my upbringing, I was able to recognize them and be like, okay, do I really want this? And there was a period in my life that I did. I wanted to be bulimic. Like I wanted to take pain pills because I didn't want to feel. I was afraid of feeling and I was afraid of, you know, what that meant. And there's things that still come up. You know, my son's three years old, my daughter's 15, and I reparent both of them. And there's moments where I'm like, why am I crying right now? And it's like, I remember when I was that age and I didn't get that. Right. And hmm. I'm getting emotional saying it. Right. So what I learned though, through all my work is that asking why keeps me stuck and taking a step forward creates a different result. And so one of the things that I stopped doing a couple of years ago was stop trying to understand why and just mm -hmm. start appreciating the fact that I could choose. And so, wow. yeah, like, I don't know why all this is happening right now, nor do I care, but I know there's a whole world of people that need to feel safe, secure, and certain and have somebody stand for them. And I have the capacity to do it. So instead of asking why I create eight to 10 hours of content a day, of help and support because I have the capacity to do that. And I realize that any moment I'm like, why, why, why? The only thing I'm thinking about is the past. And if I'm thinking about the past, I'm not going forward. And so I feel what's there. I forgive myself or whatever the transgression was or experience was or environment was. And then I'm like, great, what am I going to create? Because that's where things come from. Like we can either be consuming 
or be consumed or creating. And I just choose to focus on creation because it's a path forward. And every time I do it, it rewrites something. It changes something. It, it changes the story. And like, I'm the only person who can write the book of my life. Like I'm the only person responsible for whether I love my body or I love my business or I love my life or my friends feel safe around me or I eat clean or don't eat clean. Like I'm the only one. Nobody else does it for me. And I'm like, if I get one chance in this existential meat suit that none of us understand why it exists, at least I'm going to go out knowing that I used it to its capacity. I honored it and I gave it a chance to achieve whatever the point is for me to achieve. And right now, my only purpose is empowering people to live their best life. And I do everything in my power to do it. And business happens to be my Trojan horse. And so I don't know why. I really, really think it comes down to self. It comes down to choice. It comes down to of course, like paradigms that are created, like socioeconomic pressure, church, school, religion, experience, and, and kind of like the path that is there. But, you know, at the end of the day, it really, really comes down to choice for me. And, and, and listen, I'm not like, you know, a billionaire. I work hard. I, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes. I've lost plenty of money, been almost bankrupt a few times, closed businesses, walked away. And my wife looked me dead in the eye the other day and she's like, I'm nervous, but you know what? Like, I look at you and I've never not seen you figure it out. And you can hold more than anybody I know and you hold and you observe and then you find a path and you take it and you're like a bulldozer. You don't (laughs) stop until you achieve it. But the thing is, is that you'll never run over an animal. You'll never run over a person. You'll pick them up and throw them on the top and then you go together. And she's like, and that's why I feel safe. And, And for me, I think that just comes from choice, like really being okay, knowing that I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't even know what's going to happen in an hour from now. And I have this solace and comfort in that uncertainty, knowing that in that space, we can create whatever we want to create. And that's an opportunity. And I look at people and I study the most successful people in the world. And listen, I'm friends with some of the people that you study and we have these conversations Hmm. and we have deep conversations about this and we're all the same. Like none of us are different, right? Like it's like, Hey, I get focused and I set my eyes on a goal and I'm going to go. And if that goal is serving me and serving the people around me and not detrimental, then like, yeah, we'll give it all. But like, I don't know. I just don't believe in like half effort, right? Like it's like, I can't expect full-time results with half effort. And really like, I want to take pride in what I do. I want to teach my kids how to live in a better world. I want to teach them that you can love people and give to people and support people while also being successful and driving and having a massive impact. And I was like, but I don't want my kids to look at me and be like, yeah, every time I looked at my dad, he gave 40% effort. He gave 40% effort. He gave 40% effort. And I'm like, hey, me neither. Like my headstone's not going to say, you know, like built so many businesses or made so much money. It's going to be like, no, made this impact and never quit and always went and always tried. And like, what's the worst that happens? I don't make it. I get smacked in the face. I, I break my body again. I, I have another surgery. I, I don't know. Like, I'm just not afraid of the consequences of playing full out and playing hard. And there's times I almost was because the results weren't ideal, but you know, you learn from it, you grow and you keep pressing forward. So I really, really think it boils down to choice. Like I hate getting up in the morning. So when my alarm goes off at three 45, I hate it every day, but I still do it. Right. And I hate cold, but yet I take an ice bath every single day because it fortifies my foundation. It helps me stand with structure in uncertain times. It helps me hold even when I'm uncomfortable and I want to quit and I want to get out, I'm like, nope, nope, you're not going to die. Just sit here. Yeah, you're uncomfortable. Just sit. That's fine. Right. And it, it's kind of what um, what I focus on. So, so four years ago, I wrote a mission statement for my life. I wrote a mission statement for my life. And it says, my mission is to stand with structure, 
in the face of resistance to create possibility. And that's what I tell myself every single morning. That's why my business is branded as a lighthouse. Because a lighthouse is the definition of structure that stands in resistance to shine light out to guide people home. And I don't think I get to create a life that I've had and not use that story to empower or help other people achieve the same things. Hmm. Wow. So that answers both potentially while not answering either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Like you're right. I, I don't think there is a good answer for, for that, but I, I do always wonder, actually my mom grew up in a, in a home that was abusive, uh, physically, sexually. And I've all, she's astoundingly n- normal, you know, she's, she's amazing. And I've, I've always kind of wondered, wow, her brothers didn't, didn't, didn't fare as well. Mm-hmm. But I've always wondered, like, so I, this is just maybe it's an inner curiosity, like, why? But you're right. There's no real answer. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And, it, and it's funny, too. I, and, you know, like, here's the thing. Like, I, I, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of businesses. I run a men's group with one of the best men's coaches in the world. And we, we, we work with men a lot, too. But, you know, we talk about this. We study philosophy, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, like, literally like Buddhists and everything. And we listen to these things and it's, it's really, really funny because at the end of the day, we always laugh with each other because really to win the game or to so-and-so unplug from the matrix, the game isn't action. It's just awareness. It's awareness, absence of choice. It's just awareness. You don't respond to it. You don't do anything with it. You don't act on it. You're just aware. And awareness isn't understanding why or how it's just being like, Oh, that's interesting. Right. And that really is like the ultimate goal because awareness is presence. And yeah, I can talk about my childhood all day. Right. I'm like, great. I can talk about what's going to happen tomorrow. Great. But I literally have no idea. But in this moment, I have me. And like, when was the last time you took a minute to study your hand and like look at the scars, the lines, the fingerprints, the blood, knowing that literally hundreds of thousands of miles of blood pump through it every single day? But yet we pretend the vehicle just runs itself and we don't feel it. Right. It's awareness, right? And so I've learned that I've just kind of fallen in love with not knowing. I've fallen in love with like, I'm not supposed to know. Like that's the act of surrender. That's the act of Mm -hmm. presence. That's the act of the game. And, you know, for me, it was the death of ego, right? Because my life was spent, the success in my life came from an obsession to control, to minimize damage to self, which is why I was successful. Because if I can control it, and I do it, well, I won't end up broke and I'll end up with a family and I'll end up with everything I need and I'll have plenty of food. And like, trust me, I hoarded food. Like my wife one day, it took me eight hours to clean out the pantry. Like I had enough food to survive on for like eight to 10 years because I had like allowed scarcity and my fear of my childhood into my life and so many leaky containers. I would hoard relationships that were unhealthy because I wanted somebody to fall back on. Right. But really, Ultimately, all I was trying to do was to control every situation to minimize the potential for damage that happened as a child. And so in this work and in everything that I do, like I've really fallen in love with nothingness. Like literally, I don't have many worldly possessions anymore. Like my wife's like, you sold your motorcycle. You sold, I'm like, I don't need it. And like, I cleaned out the house and I cleaned out the food and like, I don't have fancy offices anymore. And I'm like, I ride a bike every day. I don't need a car anymore. Like I have what I need. I have me. And then when I have me, I choose to have my family. And then when I have my family, I choose to have my business and the people in my life. And it's really been profound. And and I'm not there. Like if I degrade myself on a scale of zero to a hundred, where I'm like 
bodhisattva level. And bodhisattva is one who chooses to surpass enlightenment for the betterment of humanity. I'd give myself a four. And I'm in love with that because it means I get to spend the rest of my life in this existence learning and giving and growing and trying and smacking my face a few more times. And I mean, I'm going to hit speed bumps, right? I'm going to hit brick walls at 80 miles an hour. And I'm like, oh, let's get up. Let's go again. And that that's just kind of how I've chosen to live my life. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, immune to anxiety or fear. I cry almost every day. Like I feel the weight of the world. I feel the weight of my team. I feel the weight of my family. I feel the weight of, you know, my students. I feel the weight of the people who buy my courses or the companies who hire me. And, and I feel the weight of the world right now. And the reason I focus on a lighthouse is because I keep shining light and my job's to hold it, right? And I hold it and I hold it and I hold it. And it doesn't mean it's mine. It's that I'm just holding it. And I practice the ability to hold it every single day. And I mean, even right now, like I'm drenched in sweat in this current moment, right? Like bringing this up, but also knowing like the messages that I got this morning that I haven't handled yet and the stress and the 911 calls I got earlier, like I feel that from people. And so I allow myself to feel it. I fill my tank first and then I go give the best that I can. And, and it's just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of what's worked for me. And I've done everything. I've done EMDR. I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure. I've done stem cell treatments. I've done nerve blocks. I've done MDMA assisted psychotherapy. I've done, I've done assisted psilocybin. I've done ayahuasca. I've done silent retreats. I've done breath work. I've done all of it. And really they all lead me to the same place. Hmm. Awareness is the game and you can choose in every moment how you respond to whatever comes up. And I practice the things that I practice like cold therapy and like there's, you know, four feet of snow on the ground outside. I go barefoot in shorts and a t-shirt and I go for 20 minute walks in the snow hmm. and it hurts. And when you're two miles away from the house and you want to be done, I'm like, well, I got two miles to walk back. Right. Let's hope I don't get hypothermia, but I'll do my breath work. Right. I do it to practice that holding because, you know, I think the biggest win in life as a human, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, is your ability to respond and not react. And in order to do that, you have to be able to insert a wedge between trigger and response. Mm. And so the more I practice being uncomfortable and doing the things I don't want to do, like getting up early and getting in the cold and doing work I don't really like doing or having conversations I don't really like having, I'm increasing my capacity to hold when the triggers come. And in that ability is when you get to see the game, right? And and one of my wisest teachers ever looked me dead in the eye one day. He's like, I can't hear you say this one more time. And I used to want to be like, I'm going to swim upstream. I'm going to swim upstream, right? Like I'm going against the car. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. He let me say it for like six months. And he looked me dead in the eye. I said, listen, he said, you think it's black and white, right? I said, yeah. I'm like, you can either be flowing, like going with the current, or you can be swimming against it. And he said, yeah. He said, or you stand up and realize the water's only six inches deep. Hmm. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he looked me dead uh. in the eye and he said, leaders and visionaries stand up. And he said, plant your feet. And I've explored that statement for probably a hundred hours of like, what does it mean? What are all the levels to it? Like, why did it land for me? But it was just one of the most powerful things that was ever said to me that shifted me. Mm. And I was like, oh, there's always another way. There's always a new way. There's always a path that hasn't been carved. There's always an opportunity or an option, no matter how hard, how stacked, how stressful, how fearful, it's temporal. And there's always a path to come out. Always. We might not know it because we haven't walked it or we haven't seen it or it's never been done. But that's why we're entrepreneurs. We're entrepreneurs because we love uncertainty. 
we love the challenge. We love the chase. We love the dopamine. Mm-hmm. And so when you can fall in love with that process and be aware of it, you also know that, well, at the same time, don't tell me you love being an entrepreneur in digital marketing business, but then tell me that you can't fix your marriage or your life or your fitness or your food. Just because you haven't done it yet doesn't mean you can't. You just kind of got to carry that mindset with with everything that you do. And that's just kind of how I've chosen to do it. Wow. And no, there's no book on this story. I don't know when it's coming or if it's coming. <laughs> but I've done enough podcasts about it. I'm like, there's a book yeah. somewhere out there. Yeah. So you, we, we, I kind of interrupted you there. Oh, um, no, you're good. We, you're good. Yeah, yeah. That I was remember really the good, open though. loop, man. I remember the huh? open loop. I remember oh, yeah? the open loop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we okay. left off on exactly the the food blog and then when I was transitioning away from it. And so, okay. I, I, hey, yeah, see, I know the Zygarnik effect because I teach it all the time and open loops drive me nuts. <laughs> so I remember every one of them. Mm. Yeah. So to, to close that story, you know, after I was separated from the military, I met my wife like right at that time. So my wife was there for the ebook launch and the app launch. And my wife was a very successful entrepreneur, public speaker. She traveled the world, shared stages with every famous celebrity you can imagine. And she was also certified in hypnosis and NLP. And so I got trained on how to be a good husband a lot, but also how to heal and process. I started personal development and things like that. And so through that process, I really... After the after the book, I really ignored that company for about four years. Like I showed up, quote unquote, right? But I had no plan, no structure, no idea where money was coming from. Like it was it was an absolute disaster because I was so lost. I was in and out of the hospital with depression, PTSD, things like that. Things that I hadn't healed, right? Because you know when you go from solo to with a family. And I became a bonus dad to a beautiful eight-year-old who's now my 15-year-old daughter. It exposes parts of you've never felt before. And you can't be in a family when you're that unprocessed, when you're that disconnected because it's so damaged and so much trauma. And so I had to start unraveling all these pieces. And I started the work. And during the work, I realized that the business itself was poison. Having millions of followers was poison. I lived on validation and dopamine, not life. Mm. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I stood for. I didn't even like know how to describe myself. Like I literally avoided being with myself 24 seven. And so it was through some deep soul exploration plus some external pressure. My wife was eight months pregnant we were about three weeks away from bankruptcy that I chose to shift my life and, you know, started consulting and it was accidental. And I was just in a room of my peers and somebody asked a question and I was like, I can answer that. And that's a stupid question. So let's do it this way. And Mm -hmm. um, there were 22 people in the room. And after I gave them like a 45 minute answer, they're like, we've never heard that. We've never seen that. What the hell is that? I'm like, well, this is how I was successful and got, you know, a million fans and made that money. And then they're like, nobody does that. I'm like, what do you mean? Everybody does this. And they're like, no, like, can you teach us? I'm like, well, yeah, sit down. They're like, no, no, we want to pay you. I'm like, why would you pay me? And they're like, because you're a consultant. I'm like, what's a consultant? <laughs> and they're like, oh, you get paid for your knowledge. I'm like, that's a job? And they're like, yeah, like you teach us, we implement it. I'm like, oh, cool. And a new business was born. And so I started consulting and taking the skill sets that I'd learned over seven years and everything and applying them to businesses. And I started scaling businesses massively. Men's Health was my first client, actually. Men's Health and Women's Health is my first client. And then I've gone on to work with Adidas, Titleist, TaylorMade, Onnit, Men's Health. I mean, you name them. Reebok, all of them are my clients. Vital Proteins, Onnit, over 300 companies that I've taken to either, taken many to seven figures, but over 300 to eight, nine, and 10 and beyond. 
and using what I taught myself, which I now call, you know, my lighthouse method and uh, my relationship speed algorithms framework on everything to do with business, online business, offline business, physical product, digital product. I apply all of the same principles and it works like clockwork every single time. And so in that process of, you know, becoming the highest paid digital marketing consultant in the world without realizing it, I decided overnight that the last anchor to my past was that company. And so I had a mastermind student and I called him and I said, Hey, you want a really big Christmas present? He's like, yeah, I said, great. I'm giving you the company tomorrow and I'm out. And I walked away. I walked away from social media. I walked away from a seven figure business. I walked away from millions of fans and I disappeared for two years. And I spent that time with my family and myself and lots of alone time and built some really successful things. You know, it's a very high end mastermind that I love and dearly. And I spent all my time in there and then did the work and healed myself. And my wife looked at me one day and she said, it's time. And I knew exactly what she meant. And I said, it's time to teach the world what I know and to help people achieve the same things. And so about a year ago, I came out publicly, started a Facebook group, was my first foray back onto social media. And I said, I'm just going to give away everything for free. And I literally posted two free videos a day and started it over and started helping people build businesses with ethics by using relationships and being able to sleep at night and have a massive impact. And now I spend 24 hours a day, even in my sleep, thinking about marketing and how to help people. <laughs> And that's how I got here. That's cool, man. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> so there's the story. So, yeah, that that's man, that's a lot to think about. I love I love I love it. And I love what you've chosen to do with it, with it and and what you're choosing to do now. So, let's talk a bit about what what you're doing with with businesses or I know you have a framework do you yeah. want to talk about like what, so sure. if you're listening, you know, inspiration, you're going to be inspired by listening to this. Let's also see what, how you can apply some of this to what you're doing now. Hey, we're going to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor. Congrats. You have a growing business and I'm guessing right now it's doing amazingly well. That's awesome. But I'm also guessing you're working too hard, working night and day just trying to make this thing happen. Maybe you don't have a team yet and you're doing all the work yourself. Or maybe you do have a team but you're not satisfied with their work and you end up doing too much just to manage them and make sure they're productive. If that's you, I want you to know there is hope. This episode of Next Level E-Commerce is brought to you by Summit E-Commerce Advisors. That's my company. We do bookkeeping and cash management for e-commerce businesses. And now we're starting a program to help you put in place systems, processes, and teams so that your business works for you, not the other way around. And here's a true story. The last person I hired negotiated her pay down. That's right. Have you ever heard of anybody doing that? The reason she did is because she wanted to work with me so much that it was worth more than the money to her. And she turned out to be an amazing team member for the long term. She worked with me until I sold that business and is still working with the current owner. So today, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you my exact job description that I used to attract such an amazing person and you can then copy it for yourself. So just go to nextlevelecommerce.co slash team 
to get this free job description. Again, nextlevelecommerce.co slash team. And now, back to the show. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And thank you for asking. Yeah, one of my one of my things is like, I think every entrepreneur should have access to clean water and healthcare, right? Like you shouldn't have to pay 10 grand to know if your thing's going to work or not. Or, you know, pay five grand for somebody to give you an hour of their time to tell you yes or no. And like, listen, I charge $50,000 a day. Like I'll be open to everybody. That's what I charge as a consultant to these companies. But also those companies aren't on social media. They don't care what happens online. So the same things that they pay me for, I give away to most people for free. I'm like, hey, go go do this. And then you're going to go get them because it's not enjoyable to help people add commas to their bottom line. It's enjoyable to change people's lives and empower people to live the life of their dreams. And so, yeah, I trademarked relationships feed algorithms and it's basically how I apply everything to business, right? Like you don't have a business if it's predicated on a credit card transaction. That's transactional. You have a business when you're helping people achieve the goal, whether they give you their credit card or not. It just so happens that's the secret to building a massive business as well. And so... Uh, I came up with what I call the lighthouse method, and I have a nine-step framework that literally makes business easy. And I think business should be easy. And I feel like the reason most digital marketing and business seems hard is because people don't know what levers to pull. And there's so many people teaching false information that aren't even living it or applying it. They're just making money. And so I like to pull back the curtain and give away everything. And so you know, that includes, you know, social media, how to do it right, paid media, organic traffic, paid traffic, earned traffic, content marketing, affiliate marketing. My favorite specialty is email marketing. I've obsessed about email marketing for like 10 years. And I still, to this day, get averages of 70 plus percent open rates on lists of a hundred thousand or more for Mm. like 30 day sequences. Like I love it because I mix like psychology with NLP and containers and leadership. And it's, it's mind blowing what it happens to businesses. And so, you know, there's no business that I, I can't work with. And I'm, I'm kind of anti-niche and anti-revenue. I'm like, you can tell me your pre-revenue and I'll teach you how to make your first product, do the research, get paid for it before you even build it. Or you're doing a million a year and I'll teach you how to scale it to 10. And then when you're at 10, I'll teach you how to scale it to 100. And I've made and helped build $2 billion companies. And I've taken one from, you know, 180 grand a month to a billion dollar valuation in three years. And it's mind blowing what's possible when you know what you're doing. And the reason I focus so hard on principles, and you and I were talking about this, is principles stand the test of time. Principles give you a solid foundation to then stack strategies and tactics on top of, right? And so my job and my mission is to make digital marketing easy for people. And so even like right now, it's kind of nuts. Um, My team looked at me and like, what are you going to do right now? And I got on a call with 65 people in my Facebook group. And I said, tell me about your businesses and what's happening right now. And they were like, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. Like, what do you want? I'm like, give me your dream list. And I literally wrote an outline. And the outline ended up being 41 videos. And I said, make me an offer. And they said, 500 bucks. I said, done. (laughs) And I built it. And everybody's going through it right now because it's still in beta. Uh, But I literally built it. I've recorded 27 of the 41 videos in three days. And they said, is this the same thing that companies pay you 150 grand to teach them in the office? And I said, yeah. I said, I'm just applying it to them personally. You just get taught it. And these people aren't hanging out on Facebook anyway. So here you go. They're not going to know in the first place, right? Because Fortune 50 companies don't really care. And so I basically mapped it out step by step and I made it so you can go through the things step by step and understand every ounce of it, offers, hooks, copywriting, email marketing, funnel, strategy, scale, all of it. Or you can go through it as reference material and go to the social media part or go to the 
Instagram part or go to the own traffic part or go to the pieces part. And I was like, how can I help as many people as possible? So we made it 500 bucks and I even made the URL easy. It's georgeseasy.com because I make you smile and now you're in a heightened emotional state. And now I can tell you that you're... <laughs> I did smile for your listening. I did smile. And then I can tell you that your business is supposed to be easy as well. And if it doesn't feel that way, you're just missing the wrong, you're missing the right container and the right support system. And so, yeah, so I literally have a step-by-step, like a nine-step model that I can use to take any company from where they are to where they want to go. And it's about zero to 10 million. And then when you want to get from 10 million up, I have another nine-step model that I call my lighthouse approach and it's for massive scale. And so the lighthouse method is like zero to 10 and the lighthouse approach is like 10 and up. And so I've mapped this out. I've done this with over probably like over 400 companies and a couple thousand entrepreneurs. And I just love helping people do this. Like I, I think, and, and like, I'll just be really frank with everybody. I'm going to tell you why. Cause like, I don't win when you pay me two grand for a course and you disappear. I win when you pay me 500 bucks to 10x your company and then join my mastermind or my family and help me have a bigger impact in the world. Help me launch a nonprofit. Help me launch another company. Help me scale something here. Like I'm playing the long game. It's the infinite game for me, right? And so everybody else can go play the short game. I'm like, but I want you in my life forever. Like Isaac doesn't know this yet, but he's stuck with me. Like he's, 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 (laughs) we're, we're on three calls in one week. Like I got Isaac's neural pathways nailed. I poached ethical, real, (laughs) ethically poached real estate in his brain. Like Isaac and I are connected and and he's in the world forever. Right. And so you said, I don't know that, but I think that's short, short changing me. I I know. I think you know. I think you know. I'm just being, I'm just being, yeah, I know. Um, I know. But yeah, and that, and that's why. And I, and I think it's really about, you know, collaboration, not competition, right? Like it's about helping each other. You know, like you could take every competitive supplement company in the world and put them together and they still don't come close to one one hundredth of the GDP of this country. So why are they competing? I don't understand, right? Like, is it that scarce, right? There's seven and a half billion people on the planet. And at most you have maybe a hundred million customers. And I can't even name a supplement company that has that right? So tell me why you're competing instead of collaborating. And like, I believe in collaboration. We can all win. There's plenty to go around. And that's the way that we're supposed to do business. You know, I have just actually this week, no, last week have let go of that (laughs) because listeners know that I run a bookkeeping company for e-commerce businesses. Mm -hmm. And there's only a few of us around that specialize just in bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I had been thinking like, there's me and there's them. And, you know, we're going to do events like this summit that we just ran. Yep. And, you know, what what is my role if if we're both together? Then I just realized, wait a minute. That is so stupid. That is so stupid. There's, we collaborate, like, why should I feel threatened by them or that we're competing in some way when really there's a tremendous need? People need what we have. And if anything, we can work together to help people out. Like, so that, that is pretty interesting. So you, you touched on something that I just processed. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. I love it. And and really, like, here's the thing. If you're competing, you're going to get the wrong clients in the first place. Like, this isn't about game of convincing and control. It's about enrollment, right? And so the moment you acknowledge that you're not the best fit, you'll make 10 times the business because that person's never going to be able to stop talking about you because you are honest, you are authentic, and you supported them, not supported you. And that's what business is about. 
It's about helping our clients or our ideal clients achieve their goal, not using them to hit our goal. And that's the biggest differentiator. And like, that's where you get when you collaborate. And, and that's, that's what mm-hmm. it's about. And, and people don't pay for the best product. They pay for the best relationship. And they don't buy a product as the solution. They use a product to pay for access and accountability. And all of that is relationship-based. And when you understand that, you can collaborate all day. And it's an unlimited attention pipeline of value and relationships and more than you can shake a stick at. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it, man. And that's an amazing thing to let go of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was interesting. It was a And if if you're listening, you know, this this is meta stuff that you're 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 learning you're getting an insight into, you know, what's happening right here, what's forming what you're watching and listening to. Yeah. But these thoughts do occur to me and for a while it was kind of a block. Like, hmm, I'm in competition with these people. I should say I I should make it seem like I'm better. But wait a minute. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful thing, right? And and it's really like even that and I say this to all the time too. Even the fact that you think there's competition means you're focusing on the wrong thing because if you notice your competition, you're not noticing your customers. Hmm. Right? Like you have the same amount of time in the day as everybody else, right? Where do you want to spend it? You want to spend it in consumption or creation? you create, your customers learn from you. They come to you. They're there, right? You're consuming everybody else's. Well, you're consuming your competitor's content and knowing they're existing. Well, your customers learn from them because you are not there for them. Yeah. We're awesome. getting into like inception at this point. I can do this all day. <laughs> is the top still spinning or not? Oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> right, right, right. Especially right yeah. now, it's like okay. And I was like, and then I've I've made the mistake about reading some quantum physics, and I'm like, do I even really exist, Isaac? Are you even real? And then I get into like, oh my, oh, leave that one there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then you hear somebody that, who I don't even compare my brain capacity to someone like Elon Musk, who says there's a good chance that we're all a simulation. Like, all right. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I don't belong in this conversation. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, man, I, I love it. And, and, you know, I'm going to, I know we're going to wrap in a minute. I'm going to leave everybody yeah. with one thing. You know, at the end of the day, when you think about it, the only way to lose in business or in life is by not caring about other people. Hmm. And the way that I define marketing is a two-way long-term value-based relationship, right? And so here's what I know. You give value and you give away everything that you have for all the right reasons. And there is zero way to lose a business because it will come back tenfold. 86% of marketing is still word of mouth. The average consumer gives eight to 10 brand recommendations or non-recommendations in a 60 second conversation. When you show up authentically congruently to where your soul can sleep at night and it doesn't need a shower at the end of the workday, there is no way to lose in business and you create more business and more impact than you could ever imagine. And that's the best way to do about it. Have an abundant mindset, be there. And remember, and I mean this, relationships will always beat algorithms. Take the time to build them. Don't let people comment on your social and not respond. You're training them to not respond. You're also training them that you don't care about them. Remember that these are the people that are voting with their attention and their credit cards and their dollars to you. And so in order to do that, you have to feed the children that you have before you go adopt any new ones or else you will not have a business. 
So make mm. sure you're taking care of the kids that you've adopted that have literally voted with their dollars to trust you and make sure you're not ignoring them and creating a story or a pattern that's going to make them not achieve the results. And when you do that, then you can open the faucet as much as you want, as long as you can always feed the kids that you adopt. Awesome. That's a great place to, to wrap up. So yeah, if you're listening, I hope that you've gotten tremendous value uh, from this conversation. Oh, and, and I have a and podcast, if you're lit- by the way. What's that? I said, I have a podcast. I always forget to talk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's mention it. Yeah, if you guys want to hear more of my mind, and it's a crazy one, I don't... It's, it, I don't recommend plugging into it, but let me share parts of it with you. You wouldn't like what you saw in there. But I did launch a podcast and it's called The Mind of George Show. It's at mindofgeorge.com. And it also links to the uh, course I mentioned there as well. So mindofgeorge.com. And what I do is we're going to go daily right now. We're at uh, three to four episodes a week. And every one of them is between 10 and 15 minutes and has one focus. So you can Mm. listen to it take it, put it into practice, come back tomorrow and listen again, put it into practice, come back tomorrow, listen again and put it into practice. And so we're doing two to three short episodes a week and then one long one. And the long one is either me interviewing somebody amazing, sharing a story, giving a long process. And like, for example, I feel like most people don't know how to use Instagram and they have to go buy courses. So I went and found every course that's out there and I made one that's better. And I'm going to record an hour long podcast and give the entire thing away for free. So you have a better way of using Instagram. So I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast and and left a review and all that. But yeah, the Mind of George show or mindofgeorge.com. And I always forget because it's kind of like new. And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to talk about the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you've got you like you mentioned, you you have all of this free information on your Facebook group as well. And that can be found also if you go to mindofgeorge.com. Yep. Mm -hmm. Everything's there. I make it as easy as possible. So if you want to come into my world, Facebook group, podcast, mindofgeorge.com. If you want to be one of the beta members, oh, and in that course, by the way, I'm also doing group coaching calls once every two weeks for free. So everybody gets to come on a call and I do AMAs for two to three hours and I map people through their business and answer specific questions as well. And that's at georgeseasy.com. So you smile when you say it and it's easy to remember. Awesome. Well, guys, so if you're listening uh, to the podcast and this is the first you've heard of George, my discussions with George, we've he's been on the summit. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can check out his, his summit talk and also our follow-up interview that we did yesterday as of the day of this recording. So there's a lot more of George in there that you can check out. You can also go, like he said, mindofgeorge.com. Thanks so much, George. I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. And I know I've gotten, I've learned a lot and I know listeners have learned a lot. So thank appreciate you for it. joining me. We, get, we can do it anytime. I'm, I'm game. I'll do a 10 hour podcast. I don't care. I'll talk all <laughs> I day. don't know if I'm going to do a 10 hour, <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate the, the interest in, and the offer of, to come back. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Huge, huge thanks to George for not only sharing his story, but using it to help and inspire others. I appreciate that so much. And to see what he's done is incredible. So if you know someone who would be inspired by George's story, or maybe you have a friend who's going through a rough time right now, and it would mean the world to see someone else has come out on top. Make sure you share George's story with that friend. Now I want to mention one more time that you can get my exact job description that I used to attract and hire an amazing team member who, yes, did negotiate her pay down because she was so excited to work with me. 
You can get my exact job description for free at nextlevelecommerce.co slash team. Again, that's nextlevelecommerce.co slash team. Thank you, listener, for being here. And make sure you don't miss next week's episode. We've got Amy Weiss. She also has an incredible inspirational story and shares a lot of deep knowledge. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Next Level E-Commerce. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out on the next story.